BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Edward Rowe. Welcome to the show. Hello. Edward, it's been uh, a few weeks since we bumped into each other via a mutual friend of Pat Kelman, who is yeah. also a Britflix podcast alumni as well. Correct. He came on to talk about his wonderful 606 distribution company, and we went yep. to see his latest film, System Crusher. We did. And how are you in the aftermath of watching that? Still recovering. It's a tough old but, watch, uh, isn't it? <laughs> it was a tough old watch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really tough old watch. Um, yeah, it, it was. I, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I liked it, but I definitely was completely hooked and gripped, but it was a really tough watch. Yeah, it's um, not, it's not, I one, mean, to, I it's not one to enjoy, is it? It's not one no, to enjoy. No, definitely not. But, but, but it's, it's an amazing story of how, how vulnerable someone can be, i.e. a child, in the care system when the care system doesn't have the tools or the resources to cope with the particular peculiarities of one person. Yeah, absolutely. It was... Um, yeah, it was absolutely incredible. And I, you know, I do quite a lot of work with young people in schools and, um, you know, we meet and children, teachers point out the children that are most vulnerable and aren't going to sit still and enjoy our little piece of theatre. But those children are always the ones that probably get the most from it and are the most engaging and the most interesting. So, yeah, it was it was a really, really tough watch. But, yeah, good on Pat, a, a Cornish lad for, for distributing it. Um, no yeah, totally. amazing. And now she's got the attention of Tom Hanks, yeah, the star of that movie. So there's, she's 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 obviously one to watch in terms of yeah, uh, yeah, acting. yeah, for Which, sure. That's my segue. Did you see how I did that? Then I went. That was good. I got into acting. So Edward, you are the the lead in the, I guess you would call it the breakout. Can we call it a breakout cult movie? Do you think that'd be a fair description? Yeah, I let's, think let's call it that. A breakout cult movie of British cinema, bait. Um, before we go into the details about it, do you want to give the listener a sort of brief synopsis to what Bait is? Yes. So Bait is a film by 
filmmaker Mark Jenkin. It's uh, a story essentially about a fisherman called Martin Ward, which is who I play, uh, in his little Cornish community, struggling to still make a living uh, fishing. And uh, they've had to sell their family home. Um, his brother, Stephen, uses the family boat to take day trippers out around the bay. And uh, Bait is a little tale about that struggle for survival in a small community, which is probably something that's relevant all over the world. And I mean, it's a bit different because Mark Jenkin filmed it. He wrote it over probably a 20-year period. Um, and then he filmed it on a handheld Bolex camera. Um, so it's in black and white. It's all on film. And Mark wrote and created the score for it as well, which so it, overall it's got a really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of just sets you on edge from the get-go, I think. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful film that's been amazingly well-received. You've been clamped? I think so, yeah. Who done that? Who do you think? Pricks. You own the bloody street. You can't just park there all day. It's fine you're picking stuff up and dropping stuff I work off. in the arbor. I'm a bloody fisherman. Are you? Where's your boat? See you on the beach. I'm telling Mum you're hanging around with him. live in this community. Oh, the community. I saw a ghost from my past today As I approached they dwindled away Losing your temper isn't going to help. I haven't lost my temper yet. Your old man wouldn't have shut the pub in the winter. Get out! You're just trying to earn a living, you know. So are we. We didn't have to sell us this house, didn't we? Yeah, and it's and and, and as we as we speak here on uh, the twelfth of November. Um, it's still currently available at certain screens. Festivals and stuff are still showing it. It may even mm -hmm. be getting the uh, the odd special screening and the cinema local to you, dear listener. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, any any official sort of uh, website that will list that. But it is going to get a home entertainment release, isn't it? So what's what's the um, what's the plans there? Yeah, as far as I know, it's available to, to buy on DVD from Amazon. Um, you can pre-order it now, and I think it's out in sometime in January 2020. Fantastic news, fantastic news. Yeah, but if you do get I think um, we've heard this said quite often, but it's definitely a film that you should watch in the cinema if you get a chance, because not only do you get to see me at 20 foot tall, and I'm really tall anyway, um, you do get to experience an amazing piece of cinema in its rightful place. I think that's fair to say. No, it is. It is. I mean, we'll get on. To, we'll get on to the uh, onto the reasons as for why as we talk as we talk through uh, your involvement with it. Um, but yes, I think the point the point of it being sort of black and white, the point of it being shot on what out out of date or deteriorated sixteen mil stock, it gives it gives it a quality which is it's safe to say unique. 
Um, it's a word that you can't. It's bandied around quite a lot, but there's there is not there is not there are not going to be many more films as unique as Bait knocking around cinemas in Britain right now. Um, and obviously in that four x three format, it's quite arresting as a watch. Actually, the last film I saw that way was um, Steven Soderbergh's uh, Unsane. I don't know if you saw that one. No, I've not seen that. And ironically, his was the opposite. His was like the opposite end of the technological scale. He'd shot the film. He'd shot the film on an iPhone. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this has probably got. I think Mark said to me the only time things were, went wrong with his filmmaking process was when it had to be digitalized and an Apple Mac. And you know, no disrespect to Apple Mac, I've got one, but um, it crashed. Everything else is analog. So uh, it couldn't have got more low, low tech, I don't think. Which is amazing to, and then to make a film that that looks like it does. So you've you've already sort of said that, that, that this is sort of twenty years in the making in terms of where where Mark's journey starts with it and where we are now. So where does your journey begin with Bates as the guy playing the lead, Martin Ward? That's a really good question because my journey with this film which I only remembered when we started making the film, started in about 2005, when before I knew Mark or his partner Mary, uh, I was fairly fresh out of drama school, um, didn't like living in London, came home to Cornwall, um, and I had an audition for Mark Jenkins to play um, the, the young lad in it. Uh, so this was like 2005 when I was young enough to, I was 25 to, to play the uh, character Isaac Woodvine plays. And um, yeah, so that's when my journey started. And then fast forward 15 years, 10, 10 11 years, and I met, I'd become a stand-up comic. I'd written some theater. I produced and put on a show about Cornishman called Richard Trevithick and cast Mark's partner, Mary Woodvine, in it. Got to know Mark. Mark liked what he saw in terms of wanting something completely different to what I did on stage. And uh, in about 2016, he said to me, do you want to play the part of Martin Ward? And um, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Checked out Mark's other films and, you know, they were they were weird, but, but really fascinating. And then kind of as they got the funds together to, to produce the film, Eventually, we, we shot it in September, October 2017. So, from from an acting point of view, if you, you, what what were you doing to sort of keep your to keep your eye in, as it were, as as an actor? What was what was keeping your craft alive in you? In terms of the film, or just generally? Just generally, if, if you because you've just described yeah. a period of time which is 2005 to 2016. You, see, yeah. you talk so, about being a stand up comic and stuff, but actually, what is it you're doing? I don't mean literally. You list me off a load of film and tv stuff but just kind of well there isn't that there isn't any film and tv this is the first film i'd ever done okay um um but i had a i had a fairly normal job just doing marketing stuff for for ages and then in about 2009 stumbled upon being a a stand-up comic and then from 2011 i was full-time being being a stand-up comic and then how'd you stumble I, across being a stand-up comic edward just just talk me through that so <laughs> there was a comp- <laughs> there was a competition to win a trip to to los angeles put on by visit california it was on tv you might you might remember it had people like jack Nicholson and jay leno in it and david beckham and it started with 
um, the effort started with people think life in California is all fun and games. Then it would cut to Jack Nicholson, but it's actually a really serious business. And it would cut to someone else and someone else. And at the end of it, it said David Beckham appeared and said, for your chance to win your trip to L.A., upload your video to California.co.uk. So I basically parodied the video as a proud Cornishman. I thought California's great. Cornwall's great. There's a lot of similarities, especially the weather. Not. And um, I parodied it and won this trip to L.A. Went away to L.A. for like an amazing 10-day holiday worth like $40,000. First-class flights, Frank Sinatra's house. Fantastic. Um, Lakers. Yeah, amazing. Came back. And people in Cornwall loved this video. And they said, you've got to keep making it making videos so i did over a couple of years and then eventually someone said do you want to do a, a gig and, and i said to them, what do you mean a gig and they were like a stand-up gig and i was like but I'm, i've never done stand-up comedy and they're like well give it a go so i did give it a go it went quite well and within a year i'd given up my day job and i worked as a stand-up comic for well since like full-time 2011 and then got cast in our local big christmas show as the lead in that and then discovered I quite like writing theatre with with a Cornish historical and heritage element to it. And then that, that kind of took off. And, yeah, so it was all theatre. But I think what Mark, what um, captured Mark's attention about me was that I, obviously, stage acting is very different to film. And then stage acting is very, very different to Mark's film acting. You know, he wants nothing. He just wants to see it in your eyes. And, um, yeah, so I think he was just intrigued to see if he could get out a performance out of me that basically squashed me down into a into a film actor that had to do a lot less physically, but a lot more mentally, perhaps. And, um, yeah, I think it kind of works. Really. How, do, how does how does that conversation start? I mean, because obviously to get someone to get to get someone involved in anything, it's kind of like I want you to do something. But then for someone to say I want you to do something which is not a lot, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound like that. It doesn't sound logical. But I understand what you mean because screen screen is about what we think is going on in someone's head. Often, isn't it? When someone looks across a room, that cut of their look on their face is a reaction to something that's going on and their stake yeah. in it is usually how we read it, isn't it? So to speak. Yeah. It's tough. I found it really hard and I found it really hard since because various opportunities have come my way. And I, with Mark, I remember at one point I like raised my eyebrow and he was like, that's too much. Ed. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. So, um, <laughs> from that stop point, with the, I kind stop of... with the jazz hands. <laughs> yeah. Get, get rid of the jazz. <laughs> But I mean, weirdly, the night before we started shooting, we went for a walk and he Q&A'd me as in character and I found a voice. I had a pair of rigor boots, which really helped me find the character. Really, you know, really scruffy clothing. Um, but the rigor boots and the cap, and there's a real strong Cornish trait in some men, like a, a self-destructive, trait where they can go not uh, raging in three or four seconds but also have a really long fuse until they snap they can also be you know this might be true people in general of course but there's definitely this Cornish trait in older men that which I felt I knew and wanted to bring out in the character Mark definitely know, knows it as well um, so yeah we we there was only a few hours chat about the character. I think I picked it up super quick what Mark wanted and 
and then uh yeah and then when we were on set you know we only had a couple of shots at you know a couple of takes because the camera was running on film so you don't have loads of goes you have you have a practice one a take and then a backup so there wasn't much room for mistakes um so you kind of that pressure perhaps also helped with the performance really that that was you know basically not that physical and a lot of it was going on in your eyes now this reminds me of something you were you were talking to me about when, when, when we spoke because because one, one of the unique elements of the film is the fairly odd synchronizing of your you and your your fellow casts acting and the adr of the dialogue that's done separate to so it's not what we're hearing isn't the dialogue that's being spoken at the time we're hearing a, a record after the fact and from what I remember, you were saying that was that, that that ties into this idea of the film being limited. So therefore, the, the film as a resource, but then also it helped with time that you didn't have to be 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 doing that. You could just focus on the performance. Yes, and Mark's written a, a manifesto, isn't he, about about his style of filmmaking? In that manifesto, it says to not record sound because you could get a plane flying over or, or whatever. So we went and recorded the the dialogue in post. But that was a really, really interesting and tough process because you're watching yourself on a small screen, firstly trying to sync up your mouths. And, you know, you suddenly realize you do weird things before you talk when you watch yourself so intently, like I open my mouth, shut my mouth, and then speak. So there was a lot of So it's a bit of like spot the ball, isn't it? You know, like the idea when you see a photograph, you're like, yeah, where the fuck's totally. the ball? <laughs> yeah, totally. And the, but the weirdest thing was... And, of course, we had a right laugh doing this. But the weirdest thing was that, you know, just for example, one of the lines is, I haven't lost me temper yet. You could say, you could, you know, you could whisper it and be like, I haven't lost me temper yet. Or you could scream it down the mic, I haven't lost me temper yet. And either way would work. You could do either and it would fit, um, which was really fascinating. And then ultimately, Mark, you do a bunch of them and pick the one that kind of fits best eventually. But, uh, yeah, it was just really interesting adding that and not overplaying it. But you, you could essentially say it with, you know, full of joy or full of rage, and it felt like it would work either way. It was really bizarre. And, how, and in that sense, then, how was was you directed to do it in a certain way or was you directed just to make it fit as best you could? Um, no, I was definitely directed to do it a certain way because I, I did a ton of ADR with Mark and then... And then we did it all again because <laughs> he felt it wasn't right. So um, we started again. Um, out of interest, though, out of interest, Edward, the, at, the, at the start of at the start of that process, obviously there's you and the other actors performing to the camera with the knowledge that the performance, i.e., the intonation you give, is 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 for the moment, i.e., what everybody sees and hears, but isn't for, but is going to be lost to time because it will, it isn't going to be recorded. Well. I think I didn't really know that at the time, so I didn't really care. Because um, there's a lovely chap called Michael Eddy that was um, uh, doing all d different jobs on on the film, and one of his uh, one of his jobs was to record the sound in in hindsight for posterity. So it was so we had a reference point. But um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't really know that. At the time, <laughs> because you know we're actors, we're just paid to turn up and do whatever. And then you know, I, I really 
don't get bogged down in the in the technical stuff of technical elements of things. But yeah, I think I didn't really know that till later. Now <laughs> I don't. Know, I don't, I don't I, now, what? I don't want to give. I don't yeah. want to give too many spoilers away for people that might not have seen it. Um, but one of the one of the key themes that exists as well as as well as the idea of someone down on, down on, like your character who's down on his luck and trying to survive. There's also the the very real tension between the the haves and the have nots and the haves being people that visit so they are your kind of um your holiday home types or even as 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 the film shows people changing the economy so they're here to start new businesses so it's it's the the, the but, but the bottom line is it's about change and obviously you being a, a man from that region was was there any i mean I can't, I can't imagine for Mark having took so long making it. There's, he, he understood what he was doing and why he was doing it. But to get involved with it and be the lead in it, it, it it's there is a, there is a kind of statement being said, isn't there, with the film about about where you're from, as much yeah. as it was about you as an actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think Mark does it really fairly as well. He doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, it is ultimately through my character's eyes, so you do sympathise with that side of the argument more. I think that's quite natural. But I mean, there's a great line where I bark at um, one of the characters who owns the second home. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to make a living, and she replies, "And so are we." And you kind of think, "Yeah, that's a really fair point." And it's it's a big I, pivot, I thought, of the of the film that 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 conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, my whole stand-up has been about essentially being Cornish and being from Cornwall and mm. and being proud of where you're from. But ultimately, as time's gone on, I've realised being proud of where you're from is is one thing, but it's also a little bit ridiculous because you have no, you play no hand in where you're from whatsoever. So I'm I'm quite kind of open to people being able to travel freely live freely wherever i'm you know i'm pro that kind of movement but i also really sympathize with the problems cornwall's got as a cornishman you know we've got over twenty-five thousand second homes that are empty for chunks of the year you know that's massively damaging to our local economy um with one of the poorest regions in europe and that's based on our salaries versus our living costs so we've got the lowest salaries and the highest living costs so life you know life is tough um for a lot a lot of people in Cornwall um and I mean ironically I've not told anyone this but I ended up Airbnb in my house out this summer because I didn't have much work on so I had to I had to Airbnb my house out which you know I you know took money off holiday makers that wanted to come down because I had nothing else nothing else brewing ironically um, though that's 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 not that's a common thing people do trying to make ends meet for the opposite reasons in in someone like London I know, I know, yeah. plen I know plenty do it. Yeah, yeah, plenty do it, and um, yeah, I think I've, I'm really, and I trusted Mark. You know, he, he, I never for one second thought Mark would ever say, "All, all holidaymakers are assholes." You know, all the, you know, all the emits and the derogatory terms. I never ever thought Mark would ever portray anything like that, and he didn't. And um, but I think what's also been quite interesting is that it's a story that's quite universal. The haves and the have-nots, the, the have-nots been slowly squeezed out of their communities. And it's change, um, isn't it? It's about being included in change. It's not about the fact that they don't want to or they can't change. It's 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 often evidence of not being included. And, and it's almost like change has crept up on people 
And then suddenly you stop to think and you go, shit, how far have we come? I've been left way behind. And this is going to sound like a really crass comparison, but it's it's what's at the heart of, say, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, while, while they're quite cartoon, the bad guys in that movie, their anger towards the city, as it were, and obviously the people coming to them represent the other, is is to do with they've been their 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 old skills, their old ways of life are now out of date because we've industrialized how we farm meat and stuff. So they they're now, they're now redundant in terms of where technology is taken, and they have no role in life. And in this, and I can imagine in the same way in a, in in a community in a community that's 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 identity that, that's identity is shaped by its fishing, and if less and less people are fishermen. <laughs> Then that identity begins to wane if, if what begins to be the change is that, that is the that is the tragedy that the identity the Cornish identity is being diluted because you know there's a, a lot of people that move to Cornwall to to set up lives and the, the the slightly tragic thing is and it's and it's not just people that move here but you know Cornish people as well they're kind of we need to do a better job of keeping our our history and heritage alive. You know, we've got an ancient Cornish language that's very similar to Welsh. You know, those are the kinds of things that it doesn't matter where you're from. If you're in Cornwall, those are the sorts of things we should be celebrating and promoting, encouraging children to learn a bit of Cornish, having our road signs in Cornish, because those kind of things keep our culture and our traditions alive. And if people are moving down and throwing themselves into those kind of cultures and traditions, then that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's what you're saying. It's um, and to be honest with you, I think I think it's something that that Britain's often guilty for across the piece, is that it's and so actually more so England. I think because if we look at our our Celtish cousins in in Wales and Scotland and Ireland, they have a very clear sense of who they are. But I think in England we're an absolute bloody mess in terms of what we think English is. And then yeah, you add, you add mean, into that being Cornish as a region, yeah, or absolutely. even as a separate I mean, the, state, I suppose, in the way Cornwall. I, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've got an incredible history and heritage of being, you know, our own country. You know, now with the Duchy of Cornwall, you know, for eight hundred years, we've kept the Duchy afloat. You know, the the heir to the throne. Um, but it's incredible, you know, and that grosses a billion pounds a year. But I think the Welsh, and I love Wales. I absolutely adore Wales. I went to university in Wales, and I was working in Wales last Christmas. Um, I, they're just—they're about twenty years ahead of Cornwall, where we should be. Maybe a bit more in terms of being pro-Celtic. Um, yeah, but I think the tricky bit is sometimes people in England, which is a massive generalisation, they don't like it if you say, oh, I'm Cornish, I'm not English, that that's something that's beyond them. They're like, no, you're not. You know, Cornwall's part of England. Well, I don't think we are, and history says we're not. Um, but it's just something they've been told over and over and over. And, you know, there's, there's regions in England that are probably as self-identifying as Cornwall is, you know. I don't know if you follow Liverpool. football very much, Edward, but... Uh... The, 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 uh, most of my most of my family on my dad's side is from Liverpool, and and there's a phrase out of Liverpool which is, "We're Scouse, not English." Yeah, there you go. And I think with the way things are going with Brexit and the way the government is running the UK, you know, I think people are going to be more into their community than ever before. And you know, you've hit the nail square on the other. So you know, you're a, you're a Scouser before you're English. That's 
yeah, I mean, it's it's happening all over. And uh, so, in that sense, then, when when the when when Bait was getting an airing, as it were, in 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 Cornwall, how how do you remember the initial reaction in your kind of local media and and amongst people that you might not know so well, but are quite willing to tell you what they think? Um, I think. By the time it got released down here, that you know, it's done a lot of festivals. And I've been to a few showings. Um, I think by the time it got released here, I was—I don't know where I was with it really. I think people love it, and they love the story. They love how well it's told. Um, but I guess you know, I'm a, a local Cornish lad that, but you know, kicking around doing bits and bobs, working in Cornwall you know, making theatre and stuff. And I think it was just, for me, it was just another kind of part of part of the performance of, you know, part of my career maybe. But the bits that were really, really interesting is how well it went down in uh, outside of Cornwall. I mean, for example, in Cornwall when I watched it, um, there was a little old lady sat behind me who did the thing that all grandmas do where she just commentates the whole way through, like, oh, that's Kerner King there, which is my stage comedy name, Kerner King. That's Kerner King there. Oh, that's Charlestown there. Oh, look, there's Senna now. Oh, look, that's Roger's wife, Denise there. Oh, isn't that lovely? So the, the whole way through, I had this <laughs> running commentary, which was magic because it was so completely real. But the bits that were mind-boggling were being in Berlin the first time on, on my 40th birthday watching it at the festival and, um, you know, peep, the silence in an 800-seater cinema that was packed and the applause and the laughter that, you know, and the, the laughter was was really full of joy, you know, and, yeah, that, that was the bits that were amazing. The realisation that I was part of a story with a bunch of people that was universally accepted and enjoyed because very often in Cornwall we think we I hear this all the time I get asked this all the time do people get it out of Cornwall and I'm like yeah they do we have five million people come to Cornwall every year people get Cornwall they get the Cornish they get our history and heritage and I think for me that was the most exciting part was seeing bait just blossom on a international scale really I'm, I'm reminded of my inability to go and bloody see your film in Berlin. I had to go to a meeting. I was meant to go. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I was meant to be oh, there cool. for that. What the screen. I didn't know you were there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Your producers have been in touch and, you know, obviously through oh, Brit cool. Clicks and stuff. And it was kind of like, I can't, I, I was due to go and then I could, because work come up while we were there that I had to go to and be present at and sods law, it, 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 it coincided with with uh, with Bate. But I got, I got to see, interestingly, in terms of getting to see it, I saw I ended up seeing Bait at um, a not-for-profit community cinema in East London, which was kind of bonkers. I mean, it's 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 it, for all intents and purposes. If you've ever been to an everyman cinema, it's it's that kind of gig. It's sort of a you know armchairs and and a, and a big screen. It's not your traditional cinema seats, but it's run not-for-profit. It's, it's it's in East London on Chatsworth Road near, if you if you know Homerton Hospital, listener, and yourself, Edward. Uh, it's sort of there, and it's called the Castle Cinema, and it's fantastic. And it almost felt like, like it almost felt like one of the, like the right place to see the film. Yeah, yeah. In many senses. Um, and, and I thought, and also, it, I don't know if this is the normal way it was shown, but we were shown a short film beforehand from... From the 1920s of Cornwall. Yes, the fishermen in, in Newlyn and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So is that how it was known? Is that how it's been programmed everywhere? I think it was as 
as the run ran, um, that got added, that got bolted on later. Mm, okay, because that was because that felt like a, a lovely little warm up, and then and then it kind of it, it it made you even though it's painfully obviously contemporary the story. You you understand what what we talked about earlier the the whole idea of identity is is where it where it's born out of it's not just like just some sort of fad is it or anything like that it's it's a very real part of of who who everybody is down that neck of the woods so from you from an acting point of view because I mean being a comedian having I mean, trained as an do you say you trained as an actor yeah so you trained as an actor but then it didn't go as well as you planned and you end up going back to Cornwall and restarting your life looking at stuff that turns into into a stand up comic um life um and and let's be honest cinemas and and TV is is now littered with you know that crossover between a stand up comic and, a, and an actor and it's interesting you've gone actor stand up comic actor I'm not saying that you've given up comedy either. Well, that's not suggesting. Because um, I remember, I remember, I, mean, I was talking about this yesterday about how somebody who you don't expect to play a role, can, who's who's obviously known for being funny, is is equally as strong at not being funny. Because I'm guessing when you're performing as a comic to make people laugh, you're aware of where you're trying to get get people laughing. Whereas you, you're obviously conscious of what the opposite is, which is of it, and you, and obviously, and and for the audience that have not seen the film and haven't seen you, you're a big fella, and that's part of the performance, isn't it? You, 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 you as, um, you as Matthew, Martin, sorry, um, are are imposing just by looking at you. I mean, if I'm if I bumped into you in the pub and not your pint, and you stared at me, you shit yourself. Yeah, I would. Do. <laughs> then I'd be like, don't worry, mate, I'll get you one. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so that's that kind of that that, that idea, is that, which is, which I guess plays into what you were saying. Mark was saying to you in terms of what he wanted is, I don't want you to go out and get the audience. I want the audience to come to you. Yeah, I think you know a few people said to me, and I don't want to put any spoilers in the, in this, but you know, someone said to me, I wish you'd smack that bloke, and I was like, well, that would have ruined it, I think. And not, you know, again, that's my kind of character where you're boiling with rage, but underneath it all, you know, I see it with with chaps that are my dad's age. You know, they're, they're so fucking angry sometimes, but they're so generous and so kind. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, being being six foot three and sixteen stone, you know, I had to to be intimidating at times, and it's, it's not hard to just loom over someone and. Look, look scary and think all the right thoughts, <laughs> but not raise your eyebrow. Obviously not. No, that'd be going too far. Um, cut, cut. <laughs> so in, in 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 the once once the film's in motion, as it were, how 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 then does does Mark shape the performance therein? You know, obviously you've you say you found the character when you, you sort of had time out and stuff, but then once you go in scene for scene, did you did you did you shoot it out of order like a like a film normally is or was this film shot in order? Yeah, yeah. Shot out of order. Okay. Yeah. So again, at times didn't really know what was going on. Um <laughs> Also, uh, uh, during some takes, you know, you'd learn a page or so of dialogue with someone else. It's a couple of hours before we shot it, it was yeah, it was crazy. Okay, so um, you're not, so you're not, you're you're not privy to the whole screenplay in terms of playing the I role. I think I, I, I was, but Mark, I think another kind of it was two years ago, so some of it was a bit, it's a bit vague. But I think at the time, Mark said, "Don't learn it, learn it before we shoot it." And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> And that, that's like saying do, do nothing, that. isn't it? Yeah, well, that is essentially what I had to do. 
so just um, turn up, look intimidating, learn some lines beforehand, and um, and uh, and see what happens. But um, yeah, it was uh, it, it was a really interesting experience. But the thing is, I've got nothing else to compare it to, so I've, I've not done any other films. So um, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's right or wrong or different or not different. But um, yeah, it was. I guess yeah, Mark kind of just let everyone do their thing and then steer them where he wanted them to go. What's your uh, What's your favourite experience from the shoot? Um, I liked I liked the bit where we're in this great pub and I fall out with the, <clears throat> the second homeowner, and um, I had to really scare him, and you know the, the stakes were getting higher and higher. <clears throat> and I eventually I just snap and I felt like I was really really acting at that point I felt like I was really in the moment I did with all of it but that was the most fun bit was finding that absolute rage and then um and then everyone looked at me and went after we Mark sort of went cut and Mark peered over the camera did like a thumbs up everyone else was like wow that was amazing and I was like oh this is great I'm really enjoying this and the other actor was like, bloody hell, that was scary. And, uh, yeah, I think that was probably my favourite bit of filming was um, was that moment. And it's it's probably it's the turning point in the film, actually, as well, well I think. It's, now, obviously, I mean, when, when people have to do sort of sobbing and, and, and sort of deep trauma, it's like draw on experience in terms of what you're going to do. So... Can you can you recall what you were what you were drawing on to be your most intimidating? I was probably drawing on the story and how this is probably what I should do anyway. But I was drawing on the story and the fact that I was pissed off with this wealthy guy coming down and taking from a community. Um, you know, he, he bought bought my family home and. I guess those kind of emotions of being in Cornwall are not that far under the surface in some capacity or other. You know, when we need to get somewhere quickly in August, it takes forever. So those that kind of that kind of desire to not like them was probably not too far off. Um, and then other scenes, the other scene that's quite emotional towards the end, where my brother kind of has a breakdown. I think at those points again it was the set was closed down a little bit so there's less people on set and you know you you do really feel it and the other you know, the other actor playing Stephen is called Giles King and he's a friend of mine and you know we did two takes of this emotional scene and he you know he slayed me both times when he said he knocked down mother's pantry you know and <laughs> there's something about it when we were shooting I was like oh my god you know I remember my grand's pantry you know and um yeah, it was just, I suppose it was just so real and so believable. You know, would it be the same if I was in Pirates of the Caribbean or something? Would I, you know, I'd have to draw on something else then, I'd imagine. But um, at, at that point, I think in this film, it was all fairly, fairly believable for me. Well, look, let's, so, so there are still sporadic festival screenings. So we'll put a link in so hopefully people can find one near them if they can enjoy it on the big screen. But it is going to be, but bait is going to be available and people can pre order it um, for an early 2020 watch. Uh, we'll put links in there. Um, one last thing, you know, what, what, what have you got in the pipeline, Edward? Anything, anything you can tell us about? Um, so it's all, all self-produced work again. Um, okay, what have, you got, a, what have you got going on? 
we've got a great Christmas show coming up, um, a Cornish Carol. So it's a version of a Christmas Carol, which is absolutely hilarious. Where, where's that and right. when's that? So it's all in Cornwall from the 4th of December till uh, just before Christmas. And um, yeah, and then next year I, you know, I write quite a bit as well. I've written a couple of children's shows, which we tour to schools, and it's about raising children's aspirations and kind of helping them learn about their sense of place and the history and heritage that surrounds them and that's as much fun as anything i do really i'm really fortunate to work with some top people like Sai harvey and rich healy we yeah we i write them and they direct and musically direct them or or they write them and i'm in them and yeah so there's other things brewing off the back of bait as well which is which has been amazing i've been in for some pretty incredible jobs and got close to a couple and you know none of that would have happened without bait that's for sure so yeah, I definitely owe Mark. <laughs> well, no, look, look, Edward, it, it was absolutely stellar performance from yourself. Um, Thanks. I think, it, I think, it, I think, testimony to to how like un, how much you embodied the character versus who Edward Rowe is. If I tell the listener when I met you, I was looking across the table, going. And, be, and I should add as well, I'd walk past the poster of you in the lobby, um, yeah. going, oh, look, there's Bay. I've seen that film. And then I sit, <laughs> sit down with my friend. You sat next to me, I remember. And I'm looking across and I'm thinking... We chatted for about 20 minutes. Yeah. And then um, Pat says, oh, Ed's uh, in a film. In a film, oh, yeah. What, what film's that then, Ed? Uh, Bait? Oh, yeah. And it was like the slot machine pennies all dropping in my head. I was like, oh, my God. Because I was thinking, where the hell do I know him from? And I just oh, couldn't funny. place you. And I don't know, you know, in my head, I'm going, I don't know many Cornishmen. <laughs> I know. But it is. And, and, and also, as a film, I mean, it, like, you, like, we, like we've already talked about, there's, there's, a kind of ba- there's, a, there's a balance to the way the story is told. But in rea- it, overall... I think I think it taps into and is a universal story as much as it is about the the, the regional specific stuff about you know the 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 good and the bad that comes with gentrification um, because it's not all bad but it's but it certainly isn't all good because as we talked no. about earlier it it uh, if you get left behind then you, you you don't really get a chance to catch up so then that's no. where the anger begins to sort of grow on its own mm, but it is a fantastic film and yeah i would echo edwards and sentiment if you can sit on the big screen it is something you'll really really benefit from that experience um mm. but it just gives me to say thank you very much edward for giving your time on the podcast it's an absolute pleasure sir thank you so much for having me alan parker said Sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.